Good afternoon. Welcome to the Esk podcast. This afternoon, got a very interesting guest with me, Niall Cooper. Niall is from an organization called Fair Game, and you're going to hear a little bit about Fair Game today, but you're going to hear quite a lot from Fair Game, I think, over the next few weeks as the fan-led review works its way through the DCMS and hopefully at some point works its way into Parliament with legislation that will change the game for the benefit of many. So, now I really appreciate your time. You are a director of Fur Game, I believe. And um, from the few conversations I've had with you so far, you've clearly spent a lot of time in the past getting to the point where uh, Fur Game is now. So I'm going to give you the floor to talk a little bit about Fur Game and I'll jump in if I have any questions and then we can sort of develop the conversation um, as to where Fur Game and, and where football itself goes in the future. So um, welcome and uh, look forward to listening to you. Cheers, Paul. Thank you very much. Fair Game is a growing group of football clubs that have got this wonderful vision of trying to change the way football is run in England and Wales. For a long time, it's become increasingly obvious that the game that we all love is broken and it needs to be fixed. And you know, the name of the organisation kind of says it all. We want a fairer game. And for the clubs that we represent, and we're bringing more and more on board, basically at this stage daily now, we're looking at things like the parachute payments. We're looking at the running away of salaries that are making clubs unsustainable. We're wanting to make sure that the likes of Bury and, and Macclesfield never happen again. And that football clubs really do embed and respect the communities for which they are originally from. And that's the kind of key, that's the kind of vision of a you know, more sustainable, more successful and more equitable football system that's been devoid for such a long period of time. Now, where it all started or was, you know, I, I'm, I used to be a sports journalist and then I was involved in compared to Wimbledon back in the day. And I got elected to the board of the Don's Trust to own AFC Wimbledon back in November. And they gave me this wonderful brief called the ambassadorial brief, because why give yourself something small standing when it comes down grandose? Um, uh, and I went away and spoke to loads of people and everybody I spoke to in, in football, so this is uh, academics, and journalists and people on boards, fans, obviously. Everyone of them said, sort football governance out. Uh, no, no small task, I thought, but, you know, I, I'm one for a challenge. Uh, so I spoke to a few other people beyond that, grasped that mantle, and really good conversations with the Football Supporters Association. It became really obvious that what's never happened before is football clubs speaking as well, or, you know, the ones who care. And there are football clubs out there that care. And we were trying, to, my job has been to try and bring them all together with the reason to change football. But it didn't, doesn't stop there because, as you know, Paul, and as loads of people who are listening into this will know, there have been many a review or many kind of ideas to change football, but they just end up being dusty reports on a shelf. And we don't want the DCMS review to become like that or whatever it looks like. We want something that's actually achievable and makes meaningful change. So we've been pulling together the best minds that we know in football, people who have studied it, academics, People who've lived and breathed it as campaigners or people who've been through the pain of their club holding or whatever. 
put them in the same room as the clubs and develop realistic solutions that are actually going to work, make a difference to the game we love and to make it more sustainable and reward clubs that are run well. At the moment, you get rewarded for getting relegated from the Premier League. Uh, you get an equal level of split, solidarity payments across the uh, EFL pyramid. And that means it doesn't matter whether you're a good club or a bad, badly run club. And actually that needs to change. You need to start looking at encouraging good behaviour that means that your club is sustainable for the long term and that it respects the community that you're in and it respects things like equality and diversity, rewards those sort of things, rewards good behaviour, which doesn't happen at the moment. So that's the kind of overarching view. Um, but a great time pulling all together and there's a bit more detail to all of that as well. Uh, you know, ultimately we're looking at the uh, potential abolition of the parachute payments uh, looking at putting caps on solidarity payments to the EFL and that all that revenue then going into a central pot. And this is the real key because once it's in a central pot, then you look at acting as a trust fund that rewards clubs that are run well. And that's where your independent regulator, which is the big key to this all, Paul, and we've talked about it before today. It's the big key, it's the enabler. It's the bit that makes the change that we want actually happen. You get an independent regulator that looks at what is good for football, what is sustainable for football. Things like, you know, players' wages not, you know, the not going beyond 70% of the revenue of a club. Obvious things like that. When you look at the equality standards that exist in football and actually give them teeth for the first time. So we're looking at four different things that a sustainability index would cover, which an independent regulator would be in charge of. And only clubs that pass all four of those particular index would then be eligible for funds from that central fund. That's where you then get the clubs that have done well being rewarded for their behaviour and being able to access the funds that are currently being skewed at the top end of the, uh, the pyramid, the championship and the bottom end of the Premier League. I'll give you one example that the parachute payment one-year parachute payment to one club who gets relegated from the Premier League is basically enough to pay off the debts and make clubs sustainable in the whole of League One and Two. That's one club, one year's parachute payment, enough to sort out the issues in League One and League Two. And yet there are three clubs that get relegated every year. Your parachute payments last for three years. So the amount of money that we're talking about is astronomical. And it could be revolutionary to the clubs lower down the pyramid. It will sustain clubs. It will make them much more embedded and secure within the community. And if that money is going towards capital projects or long-term programmes, we could see a radical change in how football is viewed and how, what role it can play in society. And at the same time, making sure that the history and heritage, the clubs that we all love, are secure for generations to come and not put a risk at the gamble of people trying to chase that one year in the Premier League, which if you've, you know, you get your one year, you get three years worth of 50 million. Um, but if you mess out, then you, your club risks folding. I think the whole thing needs sorting. And, and fair game, we spent a lot of time thinking with a lot of our clubs. And I believe we're in a position where we're getting towards a new future that we can hopefully embrace. And that's, where hopefully, like you say, Paul, I hope people hear a hell of a lot more from us in the next few weeks. We want to be making a lot of noise. 
we need a lot of support. We need people to back us. We need people to support us. We need people to retweet us and make sure we get that noise out there so we can deliver the change that the clubs that I'm speaking on behalf of and the communities that these clubs are based in uh, can thrive. And that's kind of where we're at. I've probably said a lot there. You were were flowing wonderfully, so I didn't want to interrupt you. Um, You know, as as you know, I I, I agree entirely with everything that you've said. I think the really interesting thing, and I I speak on a lot of podcasts to Evertonians in the main, but obviously other football fans, is that the behaviour of the big clubs in terms of the big picture, the behaviour of them in terms of what they were attempting to do in the Super League, actually in a sense, has given the opportunity to the rest of football to say um, that the balance needs to be readdressed, that you're not acting in the interest of the whole game, you're acting in your shareholder interest predominantly. Um, and that's a situation which will only develop more as time goes on and as more institutional money comes into the top end of football. So this is the opportunity to, to as you say, reset the whole of the game. But I think what's different about this approach, and I'd, I'd like your comments on this, is this is not asking football to fix itself. And almost everything that's gone on in the past in terms of reforming football has been almost a request to the people that take advantage of football as it is uh, to change their competitive advantage or reduce their competitive advantage. And of course, nobody ever does that because that's not how life works. If you've got a, an advantage, you you fight to keep hold of it. You don't, you're don't. you not going to give it up willingly. So what we're looking here, not only, well, particularly for a game, but also reaching out to many other organisations that have an interest in football, is that we want to give the responsibility of making change in football to people who are not in football. And that doesn't mean that politicians are going to run football. It means that politicians are going to put the framework in place that allows good people to run football properly for the benefit of all of football, not just the benefit of half a dozen or 10 clubs uh, in the Premier League. That's exactly it. So I think this is where, you know, we do talk about the independent regulator being that enabler because you need to get it away from self-interest. You need to get it away from people to give give it to people that actually care about the wider game. Um, You know, our tagline is in the wider interest of football. And that's exactly what it is. It's looking at people, clubs, putting aside their differences. You know, we can be rivals for 180 minutes a season. But putting aside those rivalries and saying, actually, that we need to look at how we make this game work and how we make it fairer and how we don't put these risks at stake. And I think with the ESL, it made a huge difference because it was a wake-up call. To a lot of people realising, hold on, we've got people that actually don't care about fans or the traditions or the histories of a club. I think, you know, the clubs I represent, a lot of them are, you know, League One, League Two clubs, and a lot of the conversations we're having are like that and some in the championship. And the connect sometimes at that level with some of the fans is, is has to be strong because the revenues you get isn't from the TV money. You know, it has to be like that. So the kind of connection with the history and traditions, I think with every club, every fan will feel that. And it's, you want to have that connection with your, the people who run your club to make them, make them realise that actually they are custodians of your traditions as a fan. 
and we need to respect that and we need to really cherish that because that's what we're you know i, I speak on behalf of a, a bunch of clubs but ultimately every single one of those clubs is run by custodians you know the people who have lived and breathed it the people within those communities the people who are going i want to wear i want to have that badge on my chest you know, I, I want to be wearing that shirt. I want to make sure that we play in this particular ground. Uh, you know, and, I, and the, that kind of whole tradition of community just should not be put at the whim of a person that just pops in, just thinking, right, well, you know, this is why I can see the money here and I'll, I'll chase that big cash rather than thinking about what you're actually part of a history. You're part of a tradition and, and respecting that. And the ESL ran after all of that. Not for one moment did those top six clubs think about what it means to their support base, what it means to traditions and the and the integrity of football. And there is integrity still there, but that was just a complete disregard for all of that. And it was it was embarrassing to watch because it was a complete naivety. But it did say there is a lot of things that need to change in football. And in a way, it's... Uh, and for me, Paul, it caused me a bit of a headache because we were developing fair game before it all happened. And it suddenly meant we had to go massive overdrive because it was suddenly so much higher up the agenda than we'd anticipated it being so quickly. Um, you know, we could see it coming because of the Tracy Couch review, but it was suddenly like we've got to move faster than we were. But we've taken that mantle and we've gone with it. And, uh, you know, we've seen really good developments in what we're trying to do. But we need to be in a different world. We need to be in a different place. And I think, you know, every person who was connected with any of those ESL clubs will be feeling the same. We'll be thinking, well, actually, we need to look at a different way of doing it. And the whole Premier League needs to think about differently. You know, we've got a chance to do that and we should grasp it. Yeah, I think it's I think it's important to realise that this is not uh, the rest of football ganging up on the Premier League. This is um, people embedded in football who want uh, a better game all round. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to penalise the, the Premier League to achieve that. You just have to get them to act more responsibly and to act um, in accordance with whatever regulations are put in place. Yeah, exactly that. And I think the, the key with that, when you look at the Premier League, the Premier League, you know, what, what, what I'm mentioning here is about parachute payments. It's that level of cash just being redistributed in a fairer, and more equitable way. That's how, it was, that's how it can help the lower end of the pyramid. And the top end, when we talk about the sustainability index, in a way, these are things that clubs should be doing anyway. And, you know, how can you really argue against uh, running a business model that means you don't you spend uh, less on your player budget than you do earn? Yeah. I mean, that just makes, that should be common economical sense. You know, or looking at actually making the equality standards have teeth of some sort actually doing proper embedded fan engagement and community engagement. That's one of the other sustainability indices we're developing um, to mean that actually fans are part of that, more embedded into the heritage and the running of the clubs that they love and have supported for generations. That all of that should just be routine common sense. And the fact that it isn't, and the fact that it isn't rewarded or, you know, measured against is a bit of a, you know, to, to faux pas for football, really. And they should really wake up, you know, I'd say smell the coffee and, and grow up a little bit and start realising that this is an opportunity to create a game that we're proud of rather than one that 
you know, so many times people roll their eyes because, oh, well, that's just football. You know, that's just this kind of greed that we that seems to be a byword for football. And it doesn't have to be. It can be something that actually celebrates and creates a, a force for, ah, oh, sound corny, force for good. Uh, you know, we can do that. That is in there. It's not something that should be ruled out. And it's a complete reset, as I say, or rebooting football in a, in a different vision. And we've got this really, I believe, once in a lifetime opportunity. And we've got to see the fans coming together. And, you know, as I say, I'm trying to pull together as many clubs as we can. And we're, we're growing on that basis. But, you know, again, it's like we're always going to need the support of people to realise this is the moment. So, you know, I'd say reach out to every club that you can do. If everybody can, you know, reach out to their game. You know, go on our website, see what you can do, see how you can help listen in and, and, and kind of get involved in this conversation because it's now or never. And, you know, I'm sick of never, <laughs> to be honest. I'm sick of the dusty the dusty um, review sitting on a shelf. I don't want that anymore. I know the clubs that I'm talking to and, the, you know, the Football Sports Association are all of the same same belief. We've got, we're sick of never. Uh, it's got to be now. Well, absolutely. And in a sense, what the governments are doing and what Tracy Crouch is doing, uh, places an even greater emphasis on doing it now because there's no point in saying something in six months' time because the time will have passed. And it, 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 there is a short window, short window of opportunity, to use a phrase, where anybody associated with football, fan, fan groups, clubs themselves, um, have an opportunity to put their views forward. Now, some of them will want to do that on an individual basis, but actually it's far better if you do it on a collective basis. And if you get the buy-in of well, ostensibly people who are competitors, but they're also part, you know, the part of the football family. So you have this weird situation, don't you, in any sport where you're both competing, but you also have a symbiotic relationship where you actually need, all need to survive and all need to flourish in order to, to, to make the game better. So, on that basis, we've got this short window of opportunity to uh, put ideas forward. So you get you get a phone call tomorrow from Tracy Crouch, and she says, "Niall, um, give me your five best ideas in terms of what should we be doing. What would be on those list of ideas? It doesn't have to be five. Yeah, thank you for that. Uh, <laughs> top would be independent regulator. Without that." we're in trouble. We need to have uh, that kind of voice independent. Yeah. What that independent regulator needs to do, and this is where it ties into a couple of things, is the sustainability index. So every club has to go through these measures. And the measures are um, looking at fan um, engagement, looking at proper accounts, so accounts that are consistent across every club at the moment we've, we've been working on an academic who's studied 41 football reports football counts has come up with 117 different lines so mm. there's no consistency we need to get that sorted out that means you can tell whether your club's actually going to be run well or whether it's on the heading down the abyss early on that's absolutely right equality standards so that's another part of that sustainability index i think that would be the second thing to create which would be under the realms and control of independent regulator the second part is and I'll, I'll be honest fair game nicknamed it the john scales bank and it's because john scales meant it. it's 
it's, it's the trust fund. Uh, and that's where your money that comes towards the parachute payments goes into and where the capped solidarity payments go into. So you have a huge chunk of money that's in sitting in there. And then clubs that then do well on the sustainability index, and actually you have to pass all four, can then apply to the trust fund for capital projects or long-term programs that are within your community that are sustainable because those are the key things. So if you can get that, then you've got all this money going to football for the right reasons. And it's only been rewarded to clubs that are doing things for the right reasons and doing them well. So that's that's two and three. Um, and then I think you do need to look at uh, the idea of the players' wages. It needs to be addressed. It needs to be part of that. And I'd have that as part of one of the sustainability indices of saying, right, well, actually, you're economics of it means that you score highly if your club is not spending more than 70% of your revenue on players' wages. I think that's that comes into it. I think that's really important. And then, obviously, there's things like the owners and directors test, which is not fit for purpose and never has been, really. Uh, and the reality with that one is it is absolutely ridiculous that you can have owners coming in that have, got, that have done activities overseas that, that would be criminal in the UK, but that's fine if they're doing them overseas. And that just seems the most ridiculous thing that we need to, we need to tighten that up. And we need to make sure that we have complete transparency about who's actually buying these clubs, because sometimes that's unclear. So the owners and directors test needs to apply to what exactly what that says, which is means all owners, all prospective directors, all of them need to be put through a rigorous uh, screening process. And if they have done anything that would consider to be criminal, or they have financial irregularities in their background and they should have no place in British football. And that's, I think, a really fundamental and tough point to take. And that's only going to come from an independent regulator because, you know, that scrutiny doesn't exist in that level through the FA or through the Premier League or the EFL to really do a proper job of it. And we need to have people that can do a proper job of it. And that's the, that's the reality. So I think that's four or five. I've lost count a bit there, Paul, but there's, there's quite a bunch there. And there's a, there's a few more other little bits and bobs that we'd be looking at as well. But those are the kind of real fundamental things that would help reshape football dramatically and make it a much more equitable, fairer, sustainable and responsible game. Independent regulation, that means that we, through legislation, we, we set up a body that has the uh, responsibility of looking after the game of football and it provides uh, regulation. So it tells people, tells clubs what they can and cannot do. It provides uh, an opportunity for uh, clubs to behave properly, as you say, uh, and to be rewarded for, for acting properly, which is the big change in football currently, isn't it? Because everybody actually, the reward is almost in taking uh, unseemly risk in terms of getting getting promotion. So it's it's moving away from that. And and actually what we end up with is we end up with a, a licensing situation, don't we, where the regulator says, if you want to play professional football, if your club wants to play professional football in, in the recognised leagues, whatever leagues they might be, then you have to meet the licensing conditions. And the conditions yeah, are all of the things that, you know, and, and others uh, that, that you've, you've currently mentioned. Yeah, it's, it is like that. Um, the, I mean, we're still exploring because we're still kind of developing our ideas yep. on the licensing, licensing line because that's one thing to, that is really interesting and intriguing. One thing we 
are looking at is when a club goes into administration and what what happens then um and effectively what we're mooting at the moment and it is mooting but it's it's getting a lot of traction is that if a club goes into administration it forfeits its crown jewels Mm -hmm. um so the crown jewels which would be the pitch the badge colors the name all go to a central body which is basically holding that that's your license if you like and anybody who comes in to buy that club will not be able to own those particular bits those bits we held in a trust and that's your license you get to play in the league so your league place is also part of that crown jewels so you can build up your stadium you can do stuff with your player revenue or all the rest of it but if you fail the sustainability index at any other point then you're stripped of your license so you lose the right to actually play on that pitch play in those colors have that league position have that shirt and have that name and that's where you will encourage anybody who takes over a club in administration to move into towards sustainability mm-hmm. now on top of that what we're also mooting at the moment is that the first right to buy of any club that goes to administration should be with an effective shadow body, a supporters trust, if they have the relatively training and skills to do so, they should be off that first option to take over that club. So while we wouldn't say that we're pushing fan ownership or, or fan body, fan representation on boards, and you're talking to an AFC Wimbledon fan, so obviously I know that as well. Um, what we are saying is that the default for clubs that fall into financial peril is that the fans have the opportunity to buy that club first. Uh, and I think that's where we need to be looking towards moving. Uh, I think that get, creates a new way of football for the future. And that's kind of where, where we're at. And the other element on going into administration is that we're also look, wanting regulators to have the power to do uh, parachute in experts to run that club. Because there are plenty of people out there that can run clubs well, but literally having uh, a team of experts that can go into clubs in peril, take them over and run it for the best interest of those supporters and those uh, heritage of the club. So that's another role as part of that independent regulator as well. Interesting. How, in the situation where a club goes into administration and then they support a group or support a trust, is given the, the first option to, to acquire whatever assets are left of of the club. Um, how is that funded? Are there any ideas in terms of providing uh, fun, funding assistance on that? So I think this goes back to that central bank. So we need to look at, obviously you need to develop quite quickly a funding model that makes that club sustainable, which is why the sustainability index is in there. Yeah. And there will be clubs. What we're talking about clubs is not, clubs not folding, right? If you get into financial peril, then yes, the inevitability is you will tumble down the pyramid a bit. But what we're saying is we don't want that club to fold. Because that club has got years of tradition, years of history, and we need to make sure that it remains there and it's still sustainable. I was speaking to a Sunderland fan today. And, you know, the the reality is that they're now in League One. But he said still, the reality with that is that I still have my club. Mm. It's still there. I will still celebrate a win on a Saturday afternoon. I will still be joyous on it. You know, one of my players gets a hat-trick. If it's, it doesn't matter too much to him whether that hat-trick was against uh, Everton, for God's sake, 
Um, sorry about that. <laughs> or if it was against my lot, AFC Wimbledon, right? It doesn't matter too much to them because it's still a win and it's still three great goals. Um, and that's the reality because that's the that's the joy of being a football fan because you've got your club and that ultimately needs to be the protection of it. So you would be looking at the funding to make sure that club got into a, a safe place very quickly. And remember that clubs that run on a sustainable level, according to the model that we're trying to develop, will be then eligible for a whole load of uh, funding, while not to be spent on players, but certainly to be spent on securing ground improvements or um, you know community programmes or outreach stuff that actually will make sure that club has a secure fan base for years to come. Uh, and that's that's the kind of very simple marketing and media side of it that should be a no-brainer to most clubs. Unfortunately, it's not. So, you know, that's where you need to look at. I think that striving clubs and helping clubs to become sustainable is the way we need to move forward. Uh, so when a club goes into administration, there needs to be that support mechanism to make it happen. It's a bit like going into special measures for a school. Yeah. You know, if a club goes into special measures, in this case, administration, then you need to get support people and make sure you get them out of being administration and are sustainable and moving in the right direction. And that's exactly what a regulator, an independent regulator, could be able to do, or should be able to do, to support and nourish our game to a point where it, we don't have to have bailed out clubs or support clubs. We don't have to have that problem because they're all run well and they're all run on a sustainable basis. And we can do that. A club could be run on a, on a sustainable basis, um, but then not necessarily all the supporters agree with the direction that the club's going, be it in terms of its community work, be it in terms of maybe wanting to change, move stadium, move, move, move location even. And I noticed earlier you said that you weren't necessarily that strong on uh, fan representation, either on boards or indeed... Uh, voting blocks of shares for fans. Hope I'm not misrepresenting what you said. Um, but I'm interested to explore that because I actually think that there needs to be a power of veto that's embedded within the regulations that allows a, a properly constructed part of the of, of the of the of the fan, uh, be it trust or, or whatever, whatever entity it might be, that has the ability to say to an owner, "Well, I'm sorry." understand what you want to do moving stadium from here to there but actually having consulted the fans that's not what we want to do or you know changing the badge you know even down to level levels of that there's probably a list of things that fans would always want to at least have influence if not veto and i think they should have veto over um that keeps the club in its community and keeps its values consistent with the values that the fans recognise. Yeah, Paul, I mean, it's a really interesting one, that, because my heart agrees with you. And in fact, I think there is a way to, on a mind basis as well, to agree with you as well. So one of the bits we did talk about was fan engagement as being one of the uh, sustainable indices. And that will come into heavily on that. One of the things that we're looking at, and as I say, I mean, we haven't nailed all our, all our, all our solutions yet. But we've been discussing the idea of a golden share, which is on certain on and on the as we call them restricted actions, but I've been calling them the crown jewels. We should talk about the kind of things that list of things that fans should have the ultimate, you know, should not never be sacrificed uh, by a club or never decisions made without fan involvement. 
that's where we need to look at exploring and see how you can do that. Because that could be done through, um, Leighton Orient have a fan advisory board. And they were, have been talking for quite a long time about making sure that those decisions can only happen with the approval of the fans advisory board. So it's looking at how you do that and how you make that actually happen. Um, because I, I think that's right. I think ultimately you'd want to make sure that the fans have the final say on those big key crown jewels issues. How you do that um, through a, red, a legislator or whatever is something that we need to explore and look at how we can get to the best model. Because ultimately what we're doing with Fair Game is trying to look at the top line solutions and then thinking, how does that actually happen? How can you actually do that one? And the debate on crown jewels is one that we're actively discussing, which is why I talked about the, the, the easier bit is about when a club goes into administration, then the crown jewels get protected. Because once you've done that, then over time, more and more clubs, because clubs do go into administration or do stuff for financial stuff, but you get more and more clubs having the crown jewels protected. I would want to be in a situation where at the very bare minimum, you'd have a number of clubs that would effectively be happy to sign over the, the, those crown jewels to uh, as part of a licensing system. How we get to that place is still one that I think we need to work out for. And I, as I said earlier on, we're up for all the experts, we're up for all the academics coming on board and helping us because we've tried our best to get best minds to get to the, a lot of the solutions that we've got to. doesn't mean we've nailed it and we've got it perfect. We should never think that we've got it perfect because there's always going to be somebody else that can tweak it and make it that little bit better. And in this one, I think we're in that place where we need to look at people who can tweak it and make it better and make it achievable. And that's the other thing. Mm -hmm. um, but certainly that's that's the conversation that I'm really interested to have and really interested to develop. Interesting. because <laughs> I certainly have a view as to how you, how you might do it, um, possibly not with all of the uh, legal knowledge that's required to do it, but the idea of uh, separating the commercial interests of the owner with the, as you call them, the crown jewels, and the crown jewels actually being in a, in a separate en legal entity, be it a company, be it a trust, whatever, and they're held in, in, per in a perpetuity. So they can't be moved because they're there. Um, and the only people that can ever move them are the fans because the fans are the shareholders of, the, of that entity or the, the trustees of that entity, depending upon uh, the structure of it. So the owner has all of the commercial rights to to the crown jewels. So is licensed to use them um, and has all the normal commercial rights that you would expect in a football club in terms of sponsorship, in terms of TV revenue, uh, match day revenue, et cetera, et cetera. So from, from, the, from the shareholder's point of view, from the investor's point of view, not much changes. They've, they either grow the business or they don't grow the business. They make a profit or they don't make a profit depending upon how successful they are on the pitch or how successful they are at uh, trading players, for example which is effectively the two ways that they, that they, they can make, make, make a profit or not. So all of that doesn't change for, um, for the owners and therefore shouldn't really be that much concern from the owners as to um, what happens to the crown jewels. Importantly, though, for the fans, they know that uh, whatever happens to the, in the future of the club, those crown jewels will always be there and always be present and can't be, uh, used as a, in, in a whim by a bad, bad owner, a bad investor. Exactly. I think that's a, that is 
definitely a, a good direction to travel. Um, Paul, as ever, very insightful and very good. And, uh, you know, you, you can always tell that my brain's buzzing away thinking about how we, how we <laughs> take that on. Because uh, it's, been, it's been a journey for me, Paul. I mean, I've, like, you know, I'm not saying I was a complete novice when I took on that ambassadorial brief from the Don's Trust just a few months ago, but I've learned a lot in the last six months. And I'm not going to stop learning and I'm not going to stop hearing great ideas and hearing how we can develop it. So, Paul, you know, that's one that's going firmly on my list of like, let's let's see how we can get this and, and push it forward because I think we need, there are solutions to every single one of these problems. Yeah, and absolutely. We need to find the people that have got the best answers and the best solutions and put them in the room and make it happen. Um, you know, we can always improve. Um, the what's astonished me is when I've been having these other conversations is that we're, you know, we're among the only people that have ever done taken that approach of getting all those experts, getting all those people in the same room and really trying to develop something that's going to last. Um, and that's been the joy of fair game. That's been the joy of trying to do it and trying to make it and iterate it and improve it every single time we have a meeting, every single time we talk you know we've got these workshops coming up thursday and friday and one next week and um you know all of those are opportunities for us to listen in and to grasp what else we can do and how we can improve it uh and we will continue to do that uh throughout and even once you know we're, we'll be announcing our top line solutions in july uh first july is that our, that's our plan and then but from then until the final publication of Tracy Crouch's review in October, we will be iterating and improving that throughout that entire period and trying to make sure that we get something that, that lasts. And then we will lobby the hell out of Parliament uh, to make sure that, that it happens because it, it, we can't waste that opportunity. So, Paul, when you come out with new ideas and new concepts, which you do nearly every time I talk to you, um, I can tell you my pen isn't scribbling around, my brain's certainly buzzing with the boards because uh, you know I want to feed those things to the to those other people and equally let people like yourself and some of your listeners whatever to um take part in that conversation and get involved and come out with the extra ideas that sharpen up what we what we have. And um, there's always going to be something new that and better that we can we can do and we should never think that we've got the right all the right solutions in one place. I think it wouldn't be unfair of me to say that Sorry, echo again. Wouldn't be unfair of me to say that most football clubs, over most of the time that football's been being played, have considered the fans perhaps not to be the most intelligent of people, not to have ideas that can help the game. And there's always been, not with every club, but generally speaking, there's been a sort of an us and them approach. Uh, to we run football, you you come and pay to watch us, and and, and that's probably possibly as far as some of the engagement or some of the thought process goes. It goes. I, I know from my experience on social media and from doing podcasts and from speaking to people that there's an enormous range of uh, talent out there, skills, experience, um, brought brought in from their from other people's day jobs that can apply uh, to their football clubs, and I suppose. You know, a number of people will listen to this who are not Evertonians from 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 other clubs. I'm sure some of those clubs will already have something in place in terms that allows them to put ideas forward. Everton has a fans forum which works pretty well, for example. Um, but this is really the opportunity, isn't it, for 
anybody that listens to this or anybody that sees any of your content in the next few weeks, uh, not to be shy about putting ideas forward. There's, there's no wrong answer at this stage. It's just totally ideas. It. Totally. And I think one of the things that shapes me massively on all of this is obviously, um, you know, I go back, I'm an AFC Wimbledon fan. I was involved in the club when we first set up 19 years ago. Um, and we began by looking at our fan base and seeing it not as a bunch of customers paying a load of money for a seat. We looked at it as a, a load of skills, a load of intelligent people who have got so much to offer to the club. So we were out and we asked for accountants and we found accountants. We asked for people who could design football stadiums. We found people who could design football stadiums. We asked for turnstile operators, program sellers, players, managers, people who, who could coach, you know, the whole lot, everything you need in the football club. And it was all within our fan base. It was all there, all that skill set that you need. People who are marketers, the academics, all of it, they're all there. And so it's a complete waste of talent to just consider your fan base and your supporters as customers, mm. as people going to watch, uh, I mentioned before, glorified cinema. You know, it's not, that's not what it is. You actually, there is an interaction and it is a huge benefit to a football club to realise that your supporters are far more than just customers. You know, they are wonderful people with wonderful skills that, you know, we need carpenters at AFC Wimbledon. You know, we we are, we are need glaziers because we just built a new stadium, you know, stuff like that. And they were there. They were there for us. Um, and that's, that's where I think football clubs have been missed in the past and a lot of them still are now. But the learning from an AFC Wimbledon fan, the person who helps out the club, is that there is such a different model and there's such a different way out there. And fans offer so much more and we should embrace that. And as me speaking, as you know, on behalf of the 10 football clubs that I've got and a load more that we're talking to, and a hell of a lot more we're talking to at the moment, um, that there is, there is such potential if you grasp it and you can really move forward and you can really see the benefits of doing so. And I think football needs to do that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, to everybody out there, this is the moment. It really is. It's the moment that we can change it, but you need to get engaged and you need to persuade. My mind, go out and persuade your football club to become a fair game club. Go out there, get involved in the fans' forums. Think about how you can radically change football. Don't think of it necessarily about the small things. Think about the big things. Think about the bigger picture, which is where we're, we're going to enable that independent regulator. They you know, the potential of that trust fund that can give money to clubs that are run on a sustainable and good level and having that properly measured and consistent so we can actually see who runs our football clubs and what they're up to and encourage them to do the right thing uh, because they can. And, you know, the, and the skills are out there to do it. And the, the will now for the first time, I believe, is there as well. And, you know, we need to use this opportunity and, and make that difference that football needs. Um, but it takes all of us. It takes all of us to do it. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not speaking as just one person. I'm speaking as a person who's now we've got a panel of something like 20 to 30 experts and advisors that are helping us in everything that we do day to day, um, as well as a kind of core management team that will run all the kind of the bits that we need to do just to keep ourselves, you know, motivating and active out there. And that's, from, that's an organisation that didn't exist four months ago 
So, and that's where we've got to. You, we know that there, there is interest out there to really change it and, you know, encourage people to get involved and, and join in and listen to some of our workshops and be inspired, hopefully, and take up that mantle themselves. I mean, that's really good. I, sorry. It's, it's really good. I joined in for the first time last week and I was, um, I was very impressed by the, the, the quality of... Uh, of the contributions that people made and as you say people from all different walks of life with with very some with very different ideas uh about things but all with the one common idea of actually making football better for everybody um and it uh, when you listen to these people you realize and, and you, i could speak i can speak of you in this sense uh, how much time commitment and effort you put into trying to make the game a better game for everybody and it's actually quite inspiring. So I came away on Friday feeling very inspired by, by what I'd, I'd heard. And I'd, I'd like to think that people listening to this would feel similarly inspired, at least to look at it. Um, and if it's not fair game, perhaps it might be the FSA or it might be a local group at a, at a local club, whatever. It would be nice if it was fair game, but if it's not, it doesn't matter as long as people get involved and get their ideas forward. Because as we said at the beginning of the podcast, it's, this is the time to talk about these things and to present your ideas. Um, and there are different ways of presenting those ideas, aren't, aren't there? There's, there's the groups that we're talking about. There's, I believe that the DCMS panel is going to provide a mechanism that people can uh, put their ideas forward, although I don't know what that mechanism is. I suppose the other way of doing it is contacting your MP, contacting your local councillors, uh, your local politicians, and saying, I want your support in something that's actually very, very important to our local community. Yeah, totally. I mean, I would encourage people to reach out to their politicians and to their clubs and, you know, ask them to look at Fair Game, ask them to look at what we're, what we're suggesting and get involved and really challenge those things. You know, we, we need those MPs to help set up those meetings to make sure people are listening to what we're proposing and what we're suggesting, which is uh, an overhaul of football for the better of all of us. Um, in, it doesn't take much to pick up a pen and write, a, write an email, like these days, type on a computer, uh, send an email to your local MP or to, you know, uh, contact your football club and say, right, why are you not a fair game club? It makes sense. It's, it's the, the numbers, the more numbers of clubs that, that back fair game, the stronger we get. You know, I was in a meeting, say on Sunday, uh, at the playoff final. I was invited there by the EFL, which was great. Um, and I was meeting with the head of policy at EFL and the head of policy of the Premier League. And you knew they were listening to me because I wasn't speaking on behalf of one club. I was speaking on behalf of 10. And they know that I'm in conversation with a whole load more along with the rest of the fair game team. Um, you know, we're, we're now quietly optimistic of getting that figure nudging up towards the 30 mark in the next few weeks because of the, the conversation, the reaction that we've had. And that makes a big difference when you're in those rooms. When you're saying, I represent this many clubs, and we all believe that football should be sustainable. We all believe that there is a new direction, a new way for football to go. And that, that just that just adds huge weight. So if people can reach out to their own clubs, reach out to their own MPs, encourage all of them to really embrace their game. Uh, you know, we're working with the FSA, we're working with David Bernstein and Gary Neville. So we're not separate from all of those. 
but we need the strength in numbers. We need people to really realise this is the opportunity to do it. Uh, you know, so if you if you can't persuade your club, then at least join your supporters' trust. At least help the FSA in their bit. You know, retweet what Barry Neville or David Bernstein say. Definitely retweet what Fair Game say, because um, this is our moment. This is the time we can really do it. But you know, it doesn't take a lot to do those retweets. It doesn't take a lot to write that. You know, type that letter to the your MP. Type that letter to your um, your club, uh, and that's how we can really make a difference. I, I think this is the opportunity. Yeah, and it's not just the small clubs neither. It's the Premier League clubs and it's the Championship clubs as well that should be part of this fair game process. Um, Totally, I think it would be wonderful to see a Premier League club being brave enough to say, right, fair game is the way forward and let's reboot football and we can lead it from the top. Yeah. I suppose the, the one point I have about the clubs being involved, although this is less of an issue for fair game uh, than it might be for the DCMS is how, how you square the circle of uh, clubs being involved in a body that actually wants to regulate the clubs and how you separate what they may want out of regulation from what fans might want out of regulation. Um, I think when you talk about core principles of regulation, how could you argue against, not having consistent accounts, not having transparency, not taking equality standards seriously, you know, proper way of looking at fan engagement and community and football. Those are kind of like, doesn't matter whether you're a fan or a football club owner or a chairman or a CEO or a DCMS minister, they should all be complete no-brainers. Um, so it shouldn't really matter where you come from because you should be able to unite against that. I find it, Odd for somebody to argue against sustainability. Odd for somebody to say, well, actually, quality standards, you know, whatever, doesn't really matter. Or, you know, or like fan engagement, not mattering. What we're saying is let's actually put that into an area of legislation that means it actually happens, that we actually monitor it and we can actually see progress and we can help clubs to take those steps in that direction. So, yeah, I know some people have said that regulation was a, a dirty word and they were scared of it. But in this case, it's not at all. It's a, a, a route to a new future that helps all of us. Helps fans, helps clubs, helps the DCMS because we're, we're drafting stuff that the DCMS could really be in, in you know, introducing in this legislation. So it's all there. It's just about people being brave enough to grasp it and to do it. Um, and we're going to push as hard as we possibly can to make sure people do. But... You know, we need support and we always need support to make sure it can happen. And we need to build up that momentum. So I believe we've got some momentum. I believe we're moving in the right direction. But, you know, always need that extra people to come on board. Always. No, totally. I, sorry, sorry about the sound. I absolutely, absolutely agree with you in terms of um, you have got momentum, clearly, because you've only been going four months and you've got to the stage where you are now. Uh, you're appearing on podcasts like mine and no doubt many others. Um, I'm sure your 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 press coverage will increase uh, as time goes on, and of course you're getting more and more clubs coming in, which which is fantastic. So, I suppose in, in, in closing, what I hope is only the first of a number of podcasts that we can do together to discuss this, and maybe look in more detail at the specifics in, in the next few uh, weeks and months. Um, it's a call to action, isn't it? It's a call to action to anybody that's listening to this, in terms of 
getting in touch with fair game, getting in touch with their own clubs, getting in touch with their own supporter organisations, um, getting in touch with the government through the DCM, DCMS whenever that system is up and running and getting in touch with your local politicians and saying, actually, this means something to me. I'm, I'm, I'm more than just a person that goes on a Saturday afternoon. If, if you're lucky enough to go on a Saturday afternoon, I'm somebody that wants to contribute to my club, be it a big club or be it a small club. It doesn't matter. Um, you know, people yeah, want... I totally agree, Paul. So for me, you know, it is very straightforward for Fair Game. You go on to fairgameuk.org. You know, there there's a chance to sign a petition, which we will be, we've been collating that's been asked to your, it's calling for your football club to become a Fair Game club. There are on the events tab there, there's opportunities to register for the workshops that we've been talking about. So you can actually listen in to those panels and those presentations that we've been airing. There's also an opportunity there to look at basically offering your services as a volunteer to see what else we can do. That's just fair game. And obviously, as I say, writing to your MP, writing to your local council saying this cares and this matters to me. Um, that's another really good avenue, joining your supporters trust, um, becoming active in, you know, or helping the FSA and, and what they're doing. That's all. There are lots of avenues that are open. And I'd encourage people to take all of those and definitely, you know, I'm biased, obviously, go to fairgameuk.org and look around, see what we're about. You can see the people that we have on there, the level of advisors, the kind of people that are working for us uh, and, and how we're trying to make a difference. Niall, thank you so much for your time and uh, your contribution. I hope a lot of people have listened. Well, I'm sure a lot of people will listen. I think there'll be a lot of interest. I'm looking forward to the journey uh, moving forwards. So thank you for your time. Cheers. Thank you very much.